Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say, God is good. All the time. He is good. You may be seated. Hey, can we welcome our church family tuning in online? Hey, my name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to go to the book of Esther. Anybody got a, a real Bible in your hand? If you don't have one, that's okay. We're not going to condemn or judge you, but it'll be on the screen for you. We're going to go to the, to the book of Esther and I, I wonder if maybe you've asked this question before, like I've asked this question. Um, does God and his absence of speaking mean that there is an absence of his working? Like, I don't hear God all the time, so that must mean that God isn't doing anything. And that's a, that's a very question that we're discovering here in the book of Esther. Because as believers, we really believe what Romans 8.28 says. For we know in all things that God works out for those who, for, who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. He works for the good of those. And if I believe that, then I must believe that it doesn't matter what situation I'm in or how maybe distant I feel God is or his voice is, that he is working, that he's in control. That the whole world, as I teach my kids, he's got the whole world. Okay, so some of y'all went to Sunday school. If I, if I really believe that, then it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what I face. It doesn't matter what happens in our government. No, 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 no. It does matter what happens in our government, Jacob. It matters who is in authority. Can I remind you who's put that individual in authority? God is in control. But it doesn't seem like he is because you read the book of Esther and you hear about this Jewish girl named Esther who's put in this position and has an opportunity to spare the lives of all of her people, God's people. The theme of Esther is the providence of God. And perhaps even though we don't hear him speaking, we have to believe that he's actually moving. He's working. And he's using ordinary people like you and me who have flaws, many of them. And he's allowing us to not just do extraordinary things, but to fulfill his purpose. But we have to also remember, as God is the, the master chess player, right? He's, he's the one moving the kings and the queens and the pawns. There's another individual on the other side. He's got a name, and his name is Satan. And there is an enemy at work trying to counter the things of God, trying to keep us from the purposes and the plans of God. You, you remember when you were a little, um, as, as a boy, one of my dreams every day was to just go outside and play. Maybe we don't see that anymore these days, but when I was little, that's all we wanted to do. And the greatest threat to our ability to go outside and play was what? Was rain. And then we'd sing that other song, rain, rain, wait, right, come again. But when you get outside, you see that dark little spot. And immediately, if you were, because I was a pastor's kid, we would rebuke that in, in Jesus' name, right? I cast you out. Black cloud, you know, demonic cloud out there that's coming our way to ruin our fun. And it would get bigger and it would come closer and it'd get bigger and it'd come closer. And eventually the thunder and the lightning and the heavy downpour, and it would keep us from the purposes and plans of God. 
It was like the enemy of the clouds was out to get us. Can I share a passage in Psalm uh, 31? This is verse 13. David says, for I hear the whispers, terror on every side. They conspire against me and they plot to take my life. Esther's gonna find out this is what's gonna happen. There is a plot that is going to arise. But can I just skip past all the story real quick and just give you the good news because I don't want to leave you hanging. Uh, let me go back 10, 10 chapters to Psalm 20, 21, verse, uh, maybe, is it verse 11? Psalm 21, verse 11? Uh, 21, verse 11. Though they plot against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. Somebody say amen. amen. They cannot succeed. I've titled this morning's message, if you're taking notes for all the note takers out there, the weapon has been formed. And we're going to read about that here in Esther's chapter three and four. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your son and for the cross and for the blood. And I pray that if there's anybody in this room that does not know you or know about that cross and that blood, that they would discover that today. Would you be drawing them in as you always do? I pray for everybody else in this room or watching and online, God, that your word, which challenges us and teaches us, would it shape us today? As we dive into a story that maybe many of us are familiar with, would it bring new revelations that are, that are in your word that we didn't know before? And would it, would it allow us to make us more like you and to live the way that you've intended us to live? And that is your way, Yahweh, not ours. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Ildefonso Priscilla, I'm so glad you guys are stepping into this kids' ministry role. I love you both, and you're a blessing to me and Cheryl, and I know my dad, and, and we're so thankful. VLC is blessed. We, we love TJ and Johnny, and we're so grateful that they're sticking around. And TJ, if you didn't know, stepped into a time of need when our previous kids' director stepped out, but you guys are stepping in. And so I love you guys. You have a, a call in your life to serve kids. And I know you already do it. It's not like you're going to step in and do it now. You're already doing it. And uh, I'm grateful for what's to come. So I love you guys. Um, Esther chapter two, go with me there. I, it's important for me to give you some, some context before I jump right into chapter three. And, and uh, I want to just say that I thought my dad did an amazing job last week introing this, this book. And uh, after hearing him teach, I was like, I thank God that I wasn't the one having to intro this book. Uh, because he did an amazing job. And, you know, as my dad and I sit here and plan and pray over how we're going to break down books of the Bible, um, you know, we think about this, we think about that, and he took a bulk of this. And so, um, Dad, thank you for, for doing a lot of this and helping us. Um, and just, just some, some great revelations he brought us. I'm excited for next week. If you don't know, my pastor for eight years in Boca, Pastor Don Carpen, is going to be here, and he's going to teach us. And I'm so excited for you to meet him and see him. And I, I'm going to be sitting in the front row taking notes, and, and he's going to bring it. That's next week. He's going to be preaching on chapter five. But I'm going to be focusing on chapters three and four. But let me, let me give you some, some insight if, you, if you're just joining us today and you missed chapters one and two. The name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther. That's interesting. The name of God would not be, would not be presented in the book of Esther. But does that mean that just because his name is absent, that his working is absent? No, not necessarily at all. Because we know that God is working through it all. And his hand is in all, in all things. But he's also controlling all things. So he's not just aware of it all, but he controls it all. And the people that he puts in power, wicked or not, he also controls. And he, he puts them in that authority. And we see that here in the book of Esther, that there's a, a king who is very wicked, 
a king by the name of Ahasuerus, who I'm gonna go by his Persian name today, which is his, his name is King Xerxes. He's a wicked king, and um, he, he decides when, when he's drinking and, and drunk, because he's thrown a party for himself after just a few years of reigning, um, that he would ask his wife, his queen named Vashti, to come in and entertain all the men. That's an absurd request that the king does not, not abide by. She doesn't wanna do it, and so being drunk, he decides to just cast her out, and he says, get out of here, I don't want you anymore. And then he goes into this war that you read about in between chapters one and two. And then he comes back and he, he realizes, hey, he's cast his queen out. He didn't have a wife. And so he, he needs to get another wife. And so he, he decides to, with, with advisement, he decides to go ahead and cast a, a, a contest, a beauty contest, to see what women in the land could come up, rise up, and he could select and choose from. And, and so we have this woman by the name of Hadassah. Hadassah is a Jewish girl, uh, but wanting to hide her nationality, wanted to hide the fact that she's a Jewish girl. She goes by her Persian name, which is Esther. And unlike the rest of the women, Esther finds favor with the king, and Esther is made queen. But you're gonna see now we're introduced to a new character. And the new character isn't Mordecai because we know who Mordecai is. Mordecai is a Jewish man he, from the tribe of Benjamin. <clears throat> Mordecai is the cousin of Esther and he takes her in when her parents die and Esther kind of, uh, Mordecai be, kind of becomes her father. But there's a new character that we're gonna be introduced to in chapter three and he's the antagonist. But I wanna say this before I even jump into that. Um, as we step into chapters four and five, we're gonna see a, or chapters three and four, we're gonna see a plot begin to take place, right? The, the weapon is being formed. And you have this, this queen, Esther, who's a Jewish girl. They don't know that she's Jewish. And she's now in this palace. And this plot is being formed. This weapon is being formed. And Esther has no idea about it. In fact, she's so consumed with the pleasures and the luxury of the palace that she completely ignores the fact that her people are going to die. How do you know that people are going to die? Well, we're going to read about that. I'm just letting you know that she completely doesn't hear about this because she's so consumed with being so comfortable with where she's at that she misses out on hearing what's taking place. There's a spirit, an evil spirit forming that she has no idea about. And she's in this great position of authority and she could say something about it and she doesn't because she has no idea. So go with me to verse 21 of chapter two and I'll get to that on later, more on that later, but chapter Chapter two, verse 21. It says, during the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, you have two individuals here named Big Thana and Teresh. I don't know if that's how you say it, but imagine that name, Big Thana. Probably not how you pronounce it, but I wouldn't want that name, Big Thana, okay? Uh, so Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and they conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai finds out about the plot and he tells Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And once they found out and investigated, those two individuals were assassinated. Now, this kind of shows me um, a couple things. Number one, Mordecai being a, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, no doubt has some loyalty to God, but clearly has an, a loyalty to the king. It, it almost is like he, he knows it. First Peter chapter two, verse 17, when Peter says, fear God and honor the king. He, he must know that because he's a Jewish man living under a wicked king, but yet has some decency to say, okay, I fear God, but I certainly will honor the king. And, and, and I mean, if I'm, if I'm him and I'm a Jewish man living in exile under a wicked and pagan king, I probably am saying, you know what? I don't mind if he dies. In fact, it might be better for my people if he just dies, but he doesn't. 
He steps in, there's, there's some loyalty that we see here, but we're not gonna see that here in a second, okay? So now we get to chapter, chapter three, verse one. Let me read the first two verses. It says, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadathai, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of high honor, higher than any of the other nobles. All of the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning Haman. So who, who is this Haman? He, he's now the antagonist that appears. Haman is, um, he's, he's an Agagite. He, he's, he's from the, the line of King Agag, who was an Amalekite. Well, who were the Amalekites? The Amalekites were the long enemy of the Jewish people. And my dad hit on this last week, but I need to hit on it again. The Amalekites wanted to kill the Jewish people. In fact, God told King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, I need you, Saul, to kill all of the Amalekites. Not just the men, but the women as well, and the children, and the little babies. I need you to kill them all. But what does Saul do? Well, he feels bad for the king, and so he kills everybody except the king, and he leaves King Agag alive. Now, eventually, King Agag would die. In fact, Samuel was the one that grabbed a knife and just cut him up to a bunch of pieces. But King Agag lives. And because he lives for, for some time, the, 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 this, this desire to kill the people of God um, continues to foster, continues to grow. It's like when your wife tells you, hey, honey, I need you to take out all the weeds in, in, in the bushes outside. Can, can you handle them? And like great husbands, we always say, I'll get to it later. Right, come on, how many, how many honest husbands out there? That's my favorite thing, you know? I'll get to it uh, later. I know you got a honey-do list, but man, I got a game to watch, babe. Um, so I can't do that right now. And so like the weeds that we don't attend to when they're, when they're small, they begin to grow and you know, a few days go by, a few weeks go by, a few years go by, and your neighbors are starting to wonder if the city put a new forest in their neighborhood because you're looking like you should be in the movie Jumanji because the weeds have consumed your house. It's kind of like sin, right? If you don't tackle it at the early stage, it'll kill you. The Amalekites were the enemy of God. They were the enemy of God's people. And God told Saul, I need you to wipe them all out, and Saul left one. And because he left one, that spirit, that wicked spirit to kill the people of God continued to grow and continued to manifest itself. And now we see from the Amalekites, descendants later, we find this man by the name of Haman. In verse 10, Haman is the enemy of the Jews. Now, as we read Esther, we're going to get to a feast. And the feast that we'll discuss is the Feast of Purim. And for the Jewish people in this room, you know that you celebrate the Feast of Purim. And it's a beautiful feast. I've actually attended one. And as they read the Megillah, which is the scroll of Esther, Every time they mention the name Haman, everybody is to shout and stomp their feet. And in fact, um, they hand out these little, uh, they're called groggers, these little metal things that they, that, is anybody you know what I'm talking about? You've been in one of those things where they, they spin them around and they shake them and it's this awful noise, but it's an attempt as you read the book of Esther, every time Haman is mentioned, everybody shouts, claps, and screams because they want to blot out his name because they don't like him. He's the enemy of the Jews. So, can we try this one time? Just once. Verse two, read with me. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. There we go, there we go, good job. Good job, all right, that was good. Just don't do it again, okay? But uh, um, they paid honor to Haman for the king had commanded this concerning him. But here, here's, here's the point I wanna get to. But Mordecai, Esther's cousin, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. 
Now, why wouldn't Mordecai kneel down and pay this man honor? I thought Mordecai was living by what 1 Peter 2, 17 says, fear God, honor the king. But Mordecai isn't, isn't honoring the king. Well, maybe he is honoring the king. He's just not honoring what the king has now put in place, which was elevating this man. Why isn't he honoring and kneeling down to this man? Well, maybe because he's an enemy of the Jewish people. Well, why would you ever do that? But if you know that he's an enemy of the Jewish people, wouldn't kneeling down call you out? Wouldn't it put you in a place where you could face severe discipline, possibly death? Or perhaps it was because, if you notice, what the king has to do as he elevates this man by the name of Haman, he has to declare an edict that everybody is to bow down to him. You know, if honor, or if, if a position is earned, then honor is given. But if a position is stolen, then you often see that honor is demanded. I demand you honor this man. Because I believe in him. Nobody else likes him. He shouldn't be there. But the king says, I put him there. Now everybody bow down to this man. Now here's a question I want to ask. Would there have been anything wrong or sinful with Mordecai simply bowing down to this man? He, he, could, have, he could have spared the plot and the weapon that was going to come by just bowing down to some man. You think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when King Nebuchadnezzar erected this idol and he said, you have to worship this idol, who's me. This is a little different because those people were told to worship and bow down. Um, Mordecai was simply not bowing down because he, he didn't want to honor and respect. So to answer the question, I don't think anything wrong would have been with him bowing down. He wasn't breaking the second commandment. He was just showing respect and honor, but he didn't want to do it. It'd be the same as if somebody with power showed up here or authority showed up and we paid our respects. But regardless, I love what Warren Wearsby said. Haman's promotion may have brought out the worst in Haman, but it brought out the best in Mordecai. He says, I can't bow. I know there might be consequences, but I can't bow. I know I might experience death, but I can't bow. And unfortunately, um, if you and a bunch of people are opposing um, something, it's great. But when you're the only one, it's not so great. Anybody been the only one before? You're the only one? You're like, come on, guys, let's all do it. And then you turn around, and nobody's there with you. All your friends have disowned you. Your family is like, yeah, hey, you can just do your own thing. You, you thought you were with people, but you were the only one. And when, the, when you're the only one, people start to notice. Mordecai had some friends, Big Thana in particular. Big Thana, you know, is like, Mordecai, why, why are you doing this? Why are you not paying your respect to this man of the name of Haman? And they have this discussion. You could read on in chapter three. They, day, day and day, they talk to, to Mordecai. And they say, Mordecai, why won't you bow to this, to this man? And Mordecai has his reasons. And one of those reasons is that he reveals that he's a Jewish person. Oh, you're Jewish? I know Haman didn't like Jews. And rather than living with integrity, they want to kiss the ring and they want to call their, Big Thana is not his friend anymore. Big Thana wants to call out Mordecai. And so Big Thana goes to Haman and says, Haman, I got some dirt on somebody that doesn't like you. What are you talking about? Um, um, Haman, you know, when you, when, you, when you show up to the in and out of the palace, everybody bows to you, Haman? You know, of course I do. Yeah, everybody should bow. Well, th there's an individual who does not bow. Who? Oh, he, he, he's, he's Mordecai, and Mordecai, and he, he's a Jew. Let me see for myself. Look at verse 5. 
It says, Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor to him, and he was enraged. But having learned, verse 6, who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, God's people, the Jews. Not just in the city they were in, but throughout the entire global kingdom and empire of Xerxes. He says, I can't take out my wrath on one person. I gotta take them all out. Now, let me step back for a moment and talk about what Haman represents. Because Haman isn't anything new. We've seen guys like Haman. We've read about guys like Haman. There's a, there's a spirit of Haman that's still existing. The spirit of Haman isn't just anti-Semitic, anti-Semitism, sorry. But he represents an evil that rises up in opposition of the throne of God to destroy all things of God. I don't like what God is doing. There's a spirit of Haman. I don't like God's people. There's a spirit of Haman. I don't like the Jews. There's a spirit of Haman. And all throughout history in the Bible, we've seen this spirit of Haman rise up. Pharaoh tried to do it when he said, I'm going to kill every single Hebrew boy that is a baby. I'm going to kill them all if they're born a boy. He tried to do it. Nations and armies tried to do it all throughout the Old Testament when they tried to fight and destroy all of Israel. The Babylonians tried to do it when they took all the tribes of Israel captive. In fact, you find after the Jesus time and the Jesus era, you find out the Romans are instilling laws to annihilate all the Jewish people. They tried to do it as well. You go to the 1940s, you have Hitler in Nazi Germany that tries to do it when they kill six million Jews. This spirit of Haman isn't anything new. And until Jesus Christ returns and restores his people, the spirit of Haman is still present. It's still here. And today there are many nations who are out to eliminate and remove the nation of Israel off the face of this map. You know, in 1988, there was a group from Palestine, a Palestinian Islamic Muslim group that formed. And under their charter, their whole goal is to destroy the nation of Israel. Every man, every woman, every child, and every little baby. That group is still here today. In fact, that group, the name is Hamas. Interesting. Spirit of Haman, Hamas. But we know the end of the story, church, right? That God loves his people. And it doesn't matter what weapon is formed against his people, they will not prosper. They will not succeed. The nation of Israel is God's people. He loves the nation of Israel. And it doesn't matter what spirit of Haman rises up, we know the end of the story. Psalm 21, 11, though they plot evil against us, though they devise wicked schemes, they cannot conceive. They cannot succeed. It's not possible. I'm so grateful that God loves his children still. And although the enemy doesn't want his children to be alive, God trumps that decision. God trumps that feeling. God trumps that weapon. Well, Haman plots. And he somehow convinces the king that one man's unwillingness to bow, 
um, is, is, represents a whole group of people that are really opposed to the king's law and the king's edicts, and, and they, they don't really like anything that the king has to stand for. And so um, probably King Xerxes, who's now drinking again, is like, you know what? Just go ahead and do what you please, King Haman. I've elevated you to this position. I've delegated some tasks. Go ahead and do what you please. If there's a group of people, he, he's probably assuming that there's, there's a handful of, of, of dangerous revolutionaries that are opposing the, the king, and he's like, just just go, go ahead and take care of them. You know how many Jews there were at this time? It wasn't like there was a hundred. It wasn't like there was a thousand or even a million. Over 127 countries of the global empire of Xerxes, there was said to be 15 million Jews. And King Xerxes is like, yeah, just go ahead and take out a few people. That's all right. Well, the weapon is being formed. The plot is thickening. And what's the edict that he says? What's the order that he signs off on? Look at verse 13, chapter three. It says, dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, to kill and annihilate the Jews, young, old, women, and little children. On one single day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. It says a copy of this text of the edict was to be issued as what? As a law. I mean, these are things we see in movies, fictional movies. Hey, on this day, all those people, everybody has the right to kill those people. On this day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, this is going to be issued as law in every province, 127 of them, and it's gonna be made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day. Look at verse 15. Spurred on by the king's command, the couriers went out. And the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa, the, the capital of Persia. And the king and Haman sat down to drink while the city of Susa was bewildered. It says the king and Haman set down to drink. The weapon was now formed. And the king took off his ring, his signet ring, and he said, Haman, go ahead and do as you please. And when you king uses a signet ring to sign off and to seal a document, there was nothing that could stop it. Not even the king himself. The weapon was formed. It was the end for the Jewish people. The Holocaust in Esther chapter three, has now been put in place. It's sealed. But here's what I know. What is sealed by man does not trump what is said by God and what is sealed by God. In fact, what man tries to seal, God says, yeah, no, 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 no. Let me show you my plan and my purposes. I know you think you know what you're doing. I know the enemy thinks that he has you trapped. He's got you checkmate. And now the enemy sits and drinks and does its own thing because he's got you and there's nothing that you can do about it. But the enemy does not know on the other side of that plan is God's purpose. 
On the other side of that plan is God's people. On the other side of that plan is faith and courage that he didn't know that these people had two individuals who weren't perfect. One happened to be in the palace. He didn't know that the enemy and the plan that they had just put into place, that there would be opposition and it would come from two individuals. You don't need a whole army to oppose the devil. You have God on your side. That's all you need. Some of you are waiting for the troops to show up to fight the enemy's plans. God has called you. You got Jesus inside of you. That's all you need. Now, it'll help if I have some brothers and sisters with me. Right? My neighborhood is full of sin. Do I got any other neighbors out there that know Jesus? But I'm not going to wait for the neighbors to show up who know Jesus. I already have Jesus. I'm going to start today if it's just me. The enemy has no idea that God can use just one person, one person to change the entire world. He's thinking he needs a whole group of people. Why do you think the enemy was out to kill a whole group of people? The enemy had faulty plans. If I were the enemy, I'd try and go after one person and the only person that had the position and the power in the palace, and that was Esther. It was like the enemy gave his whole hand out and we saw it all and we said, we're gonna stop it. And God was like, I know what you're trying to do, but I've got a plan. While the enemy's drinking, God is moving. I know we could also say that as believers, we can be so comfortable and we could be drinking while the enemy's moving. And that's true. But then there are times where the enemy thinks that he has you, and so he's drinking. And he's just chilling, and he's waiting. He thinks he has you, and in the morning, he's ready to get you. But my strength does not come from what I have or what I possess. My strength comes from Jesus. I've got that joy of the Lord as the strength. I have that. I have him. That's all I need. So what happens? I want you to notice as we get to chapter 4 that um, a couple things. We're going to see some courage. We're going to see some faith. But we're going to see some imperfections here. We're going to see some ignorance. We're going to see some, some individuals that God is going to use who are not perfect at all. And I know a lot of times we tend to, you know, put Esther on a pedestal and Mordecai on a pedestal and think, how great are they? You know, how good are they? How awesome are they? They had so much faith. But they were weak. They didn't want their nationality to be seen. They didn't want that, who they were to be noticed. But it wasn't until the edict was set that all Jews were going to be killed that now Mordecai begins to show his true colors, his real colors. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tears his clothes, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. And he goes out to the city and he's wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter in. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews. Just imagine showing up to the, to the city hall and seeing a, a letter on that hall that said every Christian is going to be killed on this day and this month. I assume you'd be doing the same thing. He's wailing. He's weeping. Everybody in every province is doing it. There was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Again, the enemy has set his plan into place. The weapon has been formed. The Jewish people are wailing. The Jewish people are weeping. But God is moving. And here's what happens in verse 4. 
Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai. She's like, Esther, your crazy cousin Mordecai is crazy. He's, he's screaming, he's yelling, he's weeping. And on top of that, he's let everybody know that he's Jewish. And he's your cousin. Um, so she stood close to him to put on him instead of the sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her, and he ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. <laughs> Esther has to find out what's going on? Do you realize the position that Esther is in? She's not some, you know, ruler or, or official in, in, she's the queen. She's the king's wife of, of this global empire. And she has to find out, this isn't like the next day that she didn't hear. You know, this isn't like a week later that she forgot to download Twitter because there was an update and she missed what was trending. This was months and months of, of, of couriers taking this edict out to 127 provinces. And, and she doesn't even know. Why does she not know? Why is she asking for her attendees to go ask her cousin, what's going on? Why won't, why won't he take these clothes that I'm trying to give to him? What, what, what's happening with, with my crazy cousin Mordecai? She doesn't know that 15 million Jews were just sentenced to death. Oh, well, Esther's too busy getting her nails done every day. She's really comfortable. Remember, she's living in the palace. She's living in luxury, and she's ignorant to the, to the suffering and the cries of her people. She has no idea. She's eating whatever she wants. She's watching whatever she wants. She's got 10 to 15 Amazon packages showing up at her doorstep every day. Don't you hate those neighbors? I can't stand. They always got Amazon. Why can't I have Amazon showing up to my house every day? My wife would like to. You know what I do? This is, this is a sidebar. Uh, but I, I order things that we need, like dog food, and I put it in her name. So when the dog food shows up, she's like, I got a package. It's from God. My, my wife, my husband loves me. And she opens it in his dog food. She's like, I can't stand you. I hate you. You know, or I order like things for the dishwasher and I put them in her name. And so she's like, I got a mysterious package. And it's like dishwater, you know, dishwasher detergent. It's just awesome. I love it. It's so fun. Love that stuff, man. It's so good for the soul, you know, and our marriage most of the time. Esther's just doing her thing. She's so comfortable with where she's at that she misses out on what's going on. She has to ask her cousin what's happening. Why is he so grumpy? And Mordecai shares everything. He says, this is what's going on. Everybody's going to die. And Esther, Esther, you need to say something because you're the queen. And if you could convince the king to tell him that this was a wrong, this was a bad idea, it might, it might change things around. Like, remember when you were a kid and, you know, dad said something he shouldn't have said or we're going somewhere that we shouldn't have. Mom, mom, you can convince dad that we don't want to eat there because that place is nasty. Can, can, can you, Esther, can you say something? Can, can you speak what's happening? Can you save us, Esther? And Esther responds, look at, look at verse, uh, this is verse 10. Esther responds, and she sends these instructions to Mordecai. And she says, Mordecai, um, all the king's officials and all the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned to the king is but one law, that they be killed. The only exception, this is what we're going to talk about next week, the only exception is for the king to extend the gold scepter 
to them and spared their life. And then she throws in, but I haven't even seen him in 30 days. So I don't even know if he wants me, which also tells you kind of the relationship that she's in. She says, she says Mordecai, I can't do this because I'm going to die. I, I, I wish I could. And I'm not saying this is how she was responding, but you'd like to think, she's like, I, I kind of wish I could, but if I do, I might lose all that I have. Look, look what I have. Look, look what God has given me. Look at the favor that I have had with the king. Look at all these pleasures and, 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 and gold and, and all of this. If, if I say something, I'm going to lose it all. You know that there's sacrifices when you live for God. There's a sacrifice you have to make when you live for God. And oftentimes that means giving up the pleasures of this world, even pleasures that aren't bad. It might mean that you have to step up, make a stand, and lose it all. But Jesus said, if you want to gain the whole world, you have to lose your very own soul. God, I don't, I don't mind giving up my family because I don't really like my family. Um, but God, I, I can't give up that. I can't give up, I can't give up all that I have. And Esther has to make a decision. But this is her decision. I will remain silent because I can't. And he won't summon me because I haven't seen him in 30 days. And if I go to him, he's going to kill me because that's the law. Well, Mordecai, like any great cousin, is going to speak truth into uh, this woman. And he says this in verse 12. Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, verse 13. And so he sent back his answer. He said, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Oof. I know your roots. Esther. And he's not some horrible cousin that's going to rat on her. But he said, I, I, know you're, I know where you're from. I know your nationality. I know, you're, I, know that, I know that you're a Christian. I know you're a Jew. And you will be caught. We're all going to die. But don't think that you're going to escape. It goes on to say this in verse 14. Underline this if you've got a pen and you've got a Bible. This, this verse is powerful. It says, for if you remain silent at this time, Esther, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you've come to a royal position such a time as this. Esther, speak up. You cannot remain silent. For if you remain silent, we're going to die. You're going to die. Your family is going to die, Esther. You, you have to say something. Don't turn your back on us, Esther. Don't turn your back on your people. God puts you there. Save God's people. You are in a position, Esther. Speak up. Don't turn your back on us. Because if you are silent, then you've made your decision. And your silence to injustice is going to kill a lot of people. And you're going to be caught by the way too. But I want you to notice what Mordecai is understanding and realizing because there is some now faith that steps up in this, in this sentence right here that we didn't see um, necessarily until now in this moment when Mordecai tells Esther, if you are silent, your family is going to die. But notice what he says in verse 14, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from what? From another place. Relief 
will arise for God's people from another place. You see, Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin. He knew about the covenant that God made with Abraham. That, that, and, and, and this is in a Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham is promised that he will be blessed, that he will be a great nation, and all those that he blesses, or they bless, they'll be blessed, but all those who curse him or bring contempt upon him will also be cursed. So Mordecai understands that. He knows about God's people. He knows there's never gonna be an end of God's people. He, he knows that. And he says, if you don't step in, then, then uh, our saving is gonna come from someplace else. He had faith. Somebody say faith. He had faith that no weapon formed against me and our people will prosper. He had faith that though the enemy planned evil against them, they will not succeed. He had faith that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He had faith that those who stand against the schemes of the devil will succeed because they have God on their side. He had faith that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes, Jesus comes to give life. Church, do you have faith that what the devil has planned for you and your family, if you are of God, will not succeed? Do you have faith? Do you have faith that the enemy and what he's plotted against you and the weapon that he has formed against you will not succeed? Do you have faith? Or are you living in fear? Are you living in fear? And it'd be better for you to be silent than to be vocal about your faith. What kind of faith is silent faith? What kind of faith is that? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer, but nobody knows because I don't want them to know. What kind of faith is that? Mordecai says, I'm a Jew. And I'm in that death sentence, me right here. And I know that our queen is as well. But our queen can do something about it. And then he says something so profound. He says, but Esther... You, in verse 14, who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such time as this. Esther, your position has purpose. Esther, where you are right now is because God has placed you in that position right now. And you can make a difference, Esther. You can make a, you can make a difference where you are. Don't think that you're just here by accident. Don't think that what you have is by accident. Don't think the job you have, Christian, is by accident or just coincident or just because you won the lottery that you got put in this position. You are in that position to serve God. You're in that position because God has a purpose for you. You're in that position because God has a story to tell within you to people around you. You are in where you at in such a time as this because you have purpose, you have breath, and God wants to do something. The question is, what decision are you going to make? Because you get to decide what side you're on. You get to decide whether you're gonna be on God's side, whether you're gonna be on the enemy's side, whether you're gonna be vocal about what's taking place and the schemes and the tactics of the enemy, or whether or not you're gonna just sit here and be silent and say, you know what, God's gonna take care of it. I'm just gonna sit back and relax, enjoy the pleasures of my life. I'm gonna sit and bask in the favor of God and do nothing about it. And we have a lot of Christians who have had favor from God, who are living in favor of God, and they've just been so selfish about where they're at. God has given me this check. God has given me this house. God has given me these kids. God has given me all this for me. And here I will sit. One day I will die. Don't you think that God has given you all that you have so you can use it for his kingdom? I'm not saying you gotta sell it all and give it to the poor or to the church. I'm just saying. Change your perspective on what you have and the position that you have. It's not because of coincidence, Christian. 
It's because God has placed you there. It's such a time as this. Esther, you could save all of God's people, but you get to decide what side you're on. A.W. Tozer said this, and I'll close, in the moral conflict now raging around us, whoever is on God's side is on the winning side and cannot lose, but whoever is on the other side is on the losing side and cannot win. Where are my people today that are on God's side? I cannot lose. I'm so thankful for that. I cannot lose. Yes. Man, I may be hurting and I may be miserable and I may experience tragedy in life, but I cannot lose because in the end, Jesus wins and I'm on Jesus' side. I'm thankful that I'm on Jesus' side. I cannot lose. But you're left with the decision today that Esther's left with, which side are you gonna choose? You gonna acknowledge me or not? You gonna acknowledge who you really are or not? Are you gonna be honest about what you have and, and, who, and who's given it all to you or, or not? Well, I don't wanna speak up too much because I'm gonna lose all that I have. I might, I might lose my job, I might lose my house, I might lose my paycheck. I don't wanna be as vocal about it. Let me be silent about it. Who are you gonna be open? Are you gonna speak? You may die. You may lose your life. I don't think we're there yet in America, but we, we might be there soon. It's happening everywhere else in the world. Where if you tell people that you're a believer and you, and you submit to God and you follow God, you could be killed right on the spot. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me, Jesus says, whoever disowns me before people, I will disown before my Father. What side do you want to be on? Esther's got to make a decision. And if you know the story, you know where she goes. I don't want to give you that. I want to leave it right here. The weapon has been formed. Here you are. You have a choice to make. Whether or not you are going to decide to be on God's side and speak up and save God's people. Or are you going to be one of those silent Christians? That doesn't want to be too vocal about injustice because you don't want to, you don't want to lose any followers. You don't want to lose any friends. You don't want to have to go to your family again and then, then disown you every single time because you, you don't want to do all that. So you're more comfortable with just kind of, kind of just being hidden. There was a lot of that with Esther and Mordecai, we, we realize. But that's the beauty of this is that God is still using and is going to use ordinary people who doubt who don't have great faith. But last I checked, God didn't say, in order to say to that mountain move, you gotta have great faith. In order to speak to that tree to uproot itself and cast it into the water, you gotta have great faith. God did not say you had to have great faith. What did he say? You have to have small faith. As small as a what? A mustard seed. Anybody got small faith in the room? God, I'm so thankful. I, want, I got small faith. I may not have great faith all the time, I may not have great faith all the time. That's the goal. I'm not saying don't ever have great faith, please. I'm just walking around, small faith, small faith. No, no, I'm just, I want you to have great faith. But God isn't necessarily looking for great faith. He's looking for anybody who's got a little bit of faith. I, I believe if I, if I just touch the garment of Jesus, my blood issue will be healed. I don't have to have great faith. I just need a little bit of faith. And so Mordecai and Esther... Do they decide to have great faith or a little bit of faith? Or does Esther decide to be silent? 
Stay tuned. Next week. At 10.15, next Sunday morning. Hey, would you stand to your feet? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your son. Thank you, God, for your word and your scripture. And I know this is a story that many of us know and we, we, we've read and it's a, it's, it'd be a great movie. But God, it's reality. It is reality. And it's not just reality then and that time, but it's reality now that there's a spirit of Haman rising up within, within people we know, within this world, within our country that is out to destroy and to counter and to oppose the throne of the Almighty God. And we know that today that there is an enemy out to cause every Christian to doubt what they believe, to cause every believer to leave what they know. And I pray, Lord, that you would instill in us, God, faith that says, it doesn't matter what enemy comes against me, they will not take hold of me because I am on God's side. It doesn't matter what plan the enemy has plotted against me, they will not succeed. Can I just proclaim this over you today, you and your family's life, if you're a believer, if you know Jesus and you've submitted and you've declared that your house will be a house of God, if the enemy cannot touch you, it, it's not gonna get to you. Come on, stay strong, stay in Christ. Believe, submit to him constantly, daily. Don't allow the enemy to have anything in your life. Don't allow him to have hold of any area of your life. Submit fully to God. But he'll still use you. He'll still use you. But let's not give the enemy any territory, any dominion over you. Everything I have belongs to God. Everywhere I stand belongs to God. In fact, because you have God everywhere, you stand as holy ground. Devil, try to come at me. Try to come at me. That weapon you have formed against me will not prosper. I've decided to be on God's side. This is where I stand. This is where I stand. Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.